Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. In My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, and I'm alone this time while Mark prepares for his marathon run. As you've probably realized, we've had to delay the show about a week to fit our always mercurial schedules. But don't you fret, we'll be back next week with our show we're calling Ditko Shrugged, with a bunch of special guests that are sure to get you guys excited. At least I hope so. What's even more exciting is that I've got the first of our new special review roundup episodes that we'll be doing to catch you up on all of our thoughts about modern Amazing Spider-Man comics. What I've done is strung together a bunch of our Patreon-exclusive episodes where we've reviewed Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, Issues 29 to 32, just for you to listen to. Each of these episodes was originally released solely to our Patreon subscribers, the week these comics came out. But we plan on releasing these roundup episodes when each new storyline concludes. So, about every six issues or so. We've already recorded our episodes on Amazing Spider-Man 789 and 790, so if you want to follow along with our reviews of Amazing Spider-Man as the issues come out, please be sure to join our Patreon Members Club. You can find us on Patreon or go to SuperiorSpiderTalk.com and click on our banner that reads Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club and sign up. Yes, for only $3.99 a month, you can get our bi-weekly Patreon episodes of the show that cover all the new Amazing Spider-Man comics, our Swarm's B-title reviews, bonus interview episodes, special topics-oriented discussions like which annuals count and which ones don't. And since Mark's not here, I'll, I'll give you a little clue. They all count. And you can also listen in to our mailbag episodes when each season concludes. So why not head on over to Patreon and check it out if you enjoy our show and want to hear more episodes. We've already completed over 20 individual episodes that you can download the minute you sign up. What could be better than that? So let's get this thing going. We're going to start off with our review of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, Number 29. This issue was a Secret Empire tie-in that brought Otto Octavius back as a superior octopus as he tried to take down Parker Industries. It was written by Dan Slott and Christos Gage, with pencils by Stuart Eminen, inks by Wade Von Graubadger, colors by Marty Gracia, and letters by none other than Joe Caramagna. I originally released a sneak preview of this episode several months ago, so if you already listened to it then, just skip ahead about 20 minutes and enjoy the next episode of the show. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy listening to this amazing review. What's new?
So let's get right into it, Mark. What did you think of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, number 29? Well, of course, Dan, this is a, a tie-in of sorts to the Secret Empire event going on right now. And, you know, these these big special event comics are always a little bit of a mixed bag. But I, I got to tell you, for a forced event tie-in, I'm generally not offended by this. I know that's not a strong endorsement, but I'm not offended by it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the really the biggest thing you kind of have to uh, marry your brain with is that Doctor Octopus is working with Hydra in this issue, and then there's the whole thing of like what's going on in in Washington and New York and in outer space, um, which is kind of a huge deal. But like you could just kind of ascribe that to any normal Spider-Man comic if you really wanted to. So I guess the Hydra element is really the only kind of foreign agent from this event intruding here. Yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, Dan, I'm probably a good test subject for this because I've not been reading Secret Empire. And while I, I certainly got the sense that there's lots of stuff going on in Secret Empire that is kind of world slash galaxy threatening, um, it, it didn't really deter me from getting the story I needed to get out of this Spider-Man comic, which, you know, is why I feel it, it was a fairly effective tie-in. I mean, this this felt very true to what a Spider-Man comic should be in terms of where the where the focus was trained and, and what we were learning about. Um, you know, it, it felt very seamless into, um, you know, especially coming off the heels of this very personal, character-driven story we just got with uh, the Osborne uh, legacy, so, um, or Osborne identity, excuse me. Um, so I, I, you know, in that, in that regard, I thought it was pretty effective. I'm on the other hand, I'm reading Secret Empire and enjoying it. And I, uh, I'm curious where this falls on the timeline because it, I find it a little bizarre that Spider-Man wouldn't really know what was going on given his kind of international focus these days. And Secret Empire is very much like a hugely international story that will be Hard to miss out on, but I guess, I'm guessing this is falling a little toward the earlier parts of the timeline in regards to what's going on in the Marvel Universe right now. It's just weird that it's coming out as an issue so late in Secret Empire's progression. Yeah, and speaking of international stories, you know, as you mentioned, Spider-Man has had this kind of international flavor to it for a while. This issue mostly takes place in London, and I, in what I believe to be a blink and you'd miss it kind of identifier panel very early on in the story. And, you know, we could talk a little bit about the effectiveness of that identifier in a second, but um, just going with the assumption that people did catch on that this took place in London, and this is, this kind of goes back to some of the earlier criticism we had about volume four and the Parker industry stuff with these international issues is that I, I really didn't feel that the locale added anything to the story. I mean, you know, outside of some pretty landscapes from, um, Stuart Eminem and showing, you know, the eye of London and all that, um, there was nothing that felt exp- explicitly tied to the location that that you know augmented the story in any way and when that happens especially when you have a character like spider-man who's so closely associated with new york you know my attitude kind of becomes like why bother what's the point well that was a problem for me because i i just assumed it was new york because i did, i missed the london identifier and i figured well anna maria is here and otto is here and the last we saw of both of them they both were New York characters. You know, like, why is Otto going after Parker Industries in London when the headquarters is in New York? And all of his 
base of operations and Anna Maria, and for some reason they were all over in London. And so I missed that identifier, which is my fault, and I wrote into my review as though it was New York, and that really changes your perspective on this issue if you missed that location because if he's in New York, suddenly none of his actions make any sense at all. Uh, so that was my fault, but, uh, luckily Christos Gage reached out to me, which is nice to know that he reads our reviews and, uh, and he said, you know, I'm sorry if you, you know, if it's my fault, you didn't know it was London, but this takes place in London. So I went back and corrected my review, but I felt like a real dummy for missing that. But other than the word London, really all of the identifiers, you know, would tell you this is a New York thing. Yeah, there was there was nothing in the in the content of the story that screamed we're not in New York outside of the fact that like New York was in a bubble like you know then you like you said that New York was in a bubble which kind of created this confusion of okay so then how is Peter you know what I mean like it, yeah. it, it, that that was where the, the 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 logic started to slip but at the same token like you know it could have been London it could have been Bangladesh, it could have been Paris, it didn't matter. There was nothing there was nothing to the location outside of the fact of well it's not New York apparently. You know what I mean? Because they yeah. can't be in New York. And 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 that's to me that's problematic. I mean, I I'd like to see the creators having a little more fun with that. A little more fun like what we had with um with Anna Maria in the opening s- stages of the story which you know this is a character I feel that has kind of like ebbed and flowed in terms of uh, her, how she's been portrayed and depicted and the interest level in her and kind of the depth of her character. Um, and in this, she's kind of being this taskmaster to Peter in the beginning while he's giving this interview. Um, but I, I got to tell you, I felt Eminem's art again really kind of charged the character in a positive way. Like, you know, her little like pointings and angry faces and stuff like that really added a lot of character. I, I, I like I was laughing very openly at those panels uh, and you know, Anna Maria, the Taskmaster. I don't know. I I, I just thought there was there was a lot of life to those panels. Yeah, and it didn't feel the need to add any dialogue to it. You got everything you needed from the artwork, and you can trust someone like Eminem to get that across. Although when they did speak, I thought that they were weirdly cavalier about spy- him being Spider-Man because if you notice in the drawing, he's wearing a lav mic. It's like maybe cut it on talking about your role as Spider-Man when you're mic'd up for television. Yeah, I mean we had that um I felt a few issues ago too when they were on a plane and and they, he was talking to Bobby Morris about stuff and and Aunt May and Harry ended up like being behind him or something. I'm like, man, they're getting like really cavalier just about how like wouldn't his spider sense be going off if he was like possibly outing his identity? But whatever. I mean, they do uh, it again later in the street when they're getting into their cars to drive off. They're openly talking about Spider-Man business. She's like, yeah, being Spider-Man, you really kind of aren't a good friend, which I liked that beat a lot that she's like ribbing him about how he doesn't know anything about the people in his life, which I think is the kind of thing we were complaining about going into this story or this whole volume is that how can he be both CEO and Spider-Man and not have them ruin each other? And this is a great example of it doing exactly that. But at the same time, I'm like, shouldn't you not be shouting about this in public view? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, like I said, I guess that it, it, the, the forgiveness there 
if you have forgiveness for it, which I, I mean, you know, like you said, in a perfect world, they wouldn't be doing it. But for the most part, I'm willing to kind of look past it because it is getting to, I feel, a more interesting part of, you know, how this status quo is affecting Peter and 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 how he balances things. I mean, the the, the, the way Peter balances his time between the personal, professional and then the superhero has always been a riveting part of the character. And as you mentioned, something we haven't been getting a ton of under this the status quo. Um, but in the context of how it is here and, and a little later in the issue, I feel it's like, you know, we've been talking from the get go. Peter is not going to be in charge of a multi-billion dollar company forever. How are we going to organically get to his decline? And I think these are the moments that show that more feasibly for me. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Well, after talking to Anna Maria, Peter kind of heads to his company and, and has this kind of realization that he's got some kind of responsibility to his company. And there's this hilarious scene where he arrives you know, back at Parker Industries and doesn't recognize anyone and does that thing that you do where you don't recognize someone but – you should know them, so you start guessing their names. And <laughs> I thought this was a brilliant moment of comedy uh, for uh, for the book, followed by an awesome art splash of the Hail Hydra of all these goons jumping towards uh, Spider-Man, uh, you know, swinging desk chairs, etc. Um, I thought that was really awesome. What, what did you think about this moment? Oh no! It was it was a definite highlight for me, and and you know an, an instance of where the Dan Slott's humor I felt was was well well leveraged um, or gauge perhaps a gauge. Well, both. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a bit goofy, but it works here. Um, and you know, of course, it sets us up to revealing. Otto in his new body, the the you know what's it not R- Richard uh, what's his name uh, <laughs> Richard Spencer Richard Spencer not, but not Richard, Richard Spencer. Spencer not we, Richard Spencer we should just refer to Otto as not Richard Spencer from now on there you go uh, I mean haircut and all um, and you know I gotta be honest with you Dan I mean there were some interesting things going on here between. Peter and Otto and the usual cat and mouse stuff, but you know, after so many appearances of Otto, regardless of the body over the last year or two, I'm kind of getting burned out on the character. I agree with you, um, except that in this instance, I think he's kind of come back in a way that I'm interested to see where it goes. If only because I like how they interact in this issue. It's a lot more civil. At first, Peter is kind of like ready and willing to give him a certain level of respect because he knows that he's capable of doing good, which whether or not you agree with that kind of read on the character and his turn and superior was what happened. So I'm, I mean, I was interested in, in that, and it seems like you know Peter kind of throws that out the window where he's like, I can't believe I thought the guy had a conscience, uh, you know, a conscience uh, rather. And uh, but but I liked that the, like they're meeting as kind of peers in a regard to having like learned so much more about each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, and I agree to a point. Um, I do, I do, th- I did enjoy the civility of the interaction and kind of the mutual re- respect. Um, but then once it got down to like the traditional fisticuffs, um, I never felt that there was like any kind of 
legitimate threat being posed by Otto here, even though he had this new body. I mean, they kind of had this one exchange early in their fight where Peter tried to do something and Otto was like, I knew you were going to do that. But like after that, you know, Spider-Man was more or less getting the upper hand on him again uh, until other stuff interceded. And, you know, if you're going to like repackage his character again, I mean, you know, this was, this is the character that has succeeded where other villains have failed. Um, I feel like you kind of have to keep upping the threat level here. And, and, and it felt very kind of mundane to me, you know, like we, 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 you know, I like that ominous threat that Otto used to bring when he would show up because like it was always, you know, after superior to me, and maybe I would, I was misreading it wrong. You know, part of the threat when Otto would show up, be like, oh, God, is he going to try and swap brains again? You know what I mean? Like, is he going to figure out a way to succeed in that fashion again? And, you know, here it's like he's got his body. He seems happy with it. He's got his 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 Nazi haircut. Uh, He's he's just kind of contented to doing that. And and I don't see what the what the actual threat level to that is. I think it would mean more to me if I cared more about Parker Industries and its longevity. Like, uh, I don't – obviously it wasn't earned by Peter. You know, like Otto did all that stuff for him behind the scenes. So I'm not as threatened in how I feel about Peter losing it to Otto. Like in some yeah. ways I kind of agree. I mean Otto earned it in the worst way possible. But it is kind of his accomplishment. So I'm not rooting for Otto. But I could see Otto's point. Yeah, it's it's I I I I don't really care all that much about Parker Industries. So, you know, watching him try and outmaneuver Peter and probably succeeding, uh I feel like that's where we're going. Um I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't get me all like, "Oh man, what what what's what's going to happen with this book next?" Um because we've seen what 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 happens with Peter without running a, a billion dollar corporation, um, I will say to its credit, at least we didn't get the die is cast. <laughs> yeah, right. I could very easily have seen him say that when he blew up the building or something. But this is yeah. a Gage book, and you know he did the script. You know yeah. Dan Slott plotted it, and I've always felt that Gage de-emphasized that stuff when he wrote wrote Otto. His Otto was kind of always a little smarter and a little more sinister than Dan Slott's Otto, which I think kind of leans a little more into Otto's roots as a kind of like campier character. Yeah. So, so Dan, at the end of this comic, and maybe again this is because of the issues with the uh, location identifier, am I to understand that the Parker Industries London location got blown up yeah i mean it it seems that way uh i mean it looks very similar to what we got from the ghost issue back in uh volume three uh but yeah uh parker industries london got destroyed which to me this is the biggest problem my biggest problem with this issue is peter has like auto dead to rights like he's about to do the knockout punch and stops to get a you know communicate from the Avengers, and then we don't even see we don't even have a panel of him making that decision of what to do. You know, Otto says something like, "You know, you can either go save your friends in New York or Washington D.C., or you can stay here with me." And it's like, okay, I can take five seconds and web you up and knock you out, and right. then beat it. 
You know, like uh, I don't see why he would leave Otto in Parker Industries with those Hydra Hydragoons. You know, uh, and the same goes with the Hydragoons interaction. Suddenly, he hears Otto's voice over the loudspeaker and decides, "Well, that's it. I'm just gonna stop fighting the Hydragoons." He's not going to web these guys up, and you know, uh, it seems like he's leaving a lot of villains fine in the midst of all of his tech. Uh, I mean, maybe this is the whole point of Peter being flaky, but there's a certain level of flakiness that I don't necessarily buy into. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, you have a grade for this book, Dan? Uh, yeah, I guess I, I sounded a little more negative than I was in this book because I, I mean, the art is amazing, and I still think it's all like uh, does a good job of exploring Peter's character. So I'm giving this one a B minus. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm actually right exactly there with you, B minus. Uh, you know, it was it was fine. Uh, I, I think that was the word I kept using with you when we were first texting about this comic. Uh, you know, when it came out, I kept saying it's fine. <laughs> um, but it's not like, you know, coming, I guess coming off the Osborne, uh, identity, it's a bit of a letdown, but on the curve of what volume four has been, it was fine. Um, I enjoyed it. Didn't yeah. Love it. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't even know if we can even say that of the curve of volume four, because I think it turns out volume four is shaping up to be a pretty fun volume, I think. That's true. That you're absolutely right. So stop my mouth. Yeah, volume three is is what we shall judge everything by. There you go. Uh, there moving you go. forward, it seems. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed listening to that review. Remember, you can hear that review the week the comic is released and more by signing up for our Patreon Members Club by heading on over to Patreon and searching for Amazing Spider Talk. I hope you do because it's a great way to support what we do and allow us to keep on doing shows like this one. Book guests for our regular show and find time for all the research it takes to put together a show like ours. Okay, on to the next episode. This time, Mark and I discussed Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 4, Number 30. This story was made by all the same people as the last one and continued to tell the tale of Otto's attack on Parker Industries during Secret Empire. I hope you enjoy our review. Today, we're going to be talking about Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 4, Number 30, by Dan Slott, Christos Gage, Stuart Eminen, Wade Von Graubadger, which remains fun to say, <laughs> Marty Gracia, and Joe Caramagna. So let's get right to it. Mark, what did you think yeah. of this issue? Yeah, Dan, you know, it's funny. Uh, last time out, we were talking about how even though this was like the obligatory major Marvel event tie-in storyline, you know, it felt like a true Spider-Man story. And the, the tie-in was kind of tertiary to the overall themes. But this this comic, I mean, from 
certainly at the very start, maybe less so at the finish, um, just felt like that kind of, you know, your worst, worst fears realized, like, it's just like very clumsy exposition, heavy, uh, you know, crossover to Secret Empire, you know, like Spider-Man is being a leader and doing leadery type things. And I'm just like, well, this, this story just feels like so forced and heavy handed. And I, I definitely did not enjoy it remotely as much as the last issue. Well, I think the biggest problem with that is that it goes – the last issue ended in a not very satisfying way um, because of – Secret Empire, and this issue, like, we're hoping for it to pay off in some way. Like, okay, make this diversion worthwhile. And I didn't right. feel like it did. It's like, this is literally this story being interrupted by Secret Empire, and then by the end of this issue, we're resuming back to where we were at the end of the previous issue with Spider Man and Doc Ock getting ready to fight. But there was no reason. For this diversion, other than to tie in with this big event, you could say what you want to say about the frequency of how you know how often Amazing Spider-Man drops and stuff. But like you know, we, Spider-Man comes out give or take twice a month. It's three ninety nine an issue, sometimes more depending on if it's a special issue. <laughs> Nine ninety nine. Like, yeah, right. And if if that's how it's going to be, then I don't want. Five, six issues of just like totally random content, you know, tacked on at the beginning of my comic book because Marvel's got something else going on. I mean, to me, this is this is exhibit A of the burnout that fans are experiencing with Marvel right now, because it's like, you know, we are we are buying an issue of Amazing Spider-Man. And like you said, it took all this clunky, awkward crossover stuff. Before we basically five or six, seven pages later, pick up exactly where we ended one issue earlier in Amazing Spider-Man. Like that's to me, that's just waste of space. Like, like why, why am I paying for that? Like I, I have no desire to read this story. I want to read the story. I'm buying Spider-Man to read about Spider-Man and his, his conflict with Doc Ock, not Spider-Man and the champions during a secret empire fight, which is, is this even happening this, I have not been reading Secret Empire, Dan. Is there is this in reference to something that's happening in that book, or is this just like kind of related but not really? Well, actually, it's kind of the first hint as to what Spider-Man was doing during Secret Empire. He's been noticeably absent from that story. So, like, I think I've heard from a number of fans that they like this story so far because it's giving a reason for why Spider-Man has not been involved in that conflict very strongly. Um, so like, I think there was a way to just write this completely where it's like, you know what? Spider-Man had his own stuff to deal with. New York being in a bubble, his industry's going down, but this way, I guess they get to have lip service to like, Hey, look, Spider-Man doesn't just care about his own world. He cares about the greater conflict overall. But even then his level of caring is like being like, Hey guys, uh, I'm going to get us out of here, which is not really that compelling of a of a story or really even as a leadership position. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and the whole Spider-Man is a good leader idea getting lip service here. Like, is there is there a less desirable plot point than this one right now? Like, I feel like we've been trying to slam this one home since Spider-Verse and they just never get it. 
Right. Well, also because they undercut it moments later when we see him being like not an effective leader to all these people in Shanghai, you know. And then meanwhile, his own workers are like commenting on how Spider-Man always needs another character to bail him out. You know, like it's – which I'm okay with to a certain degree. I felt like in the Goblin story, the Silver Sable team-up was really strong uh, and, and, and didn't undercut him. Yeah, I have no problems with Spider-Man teaming up with other characters and I don't even have problems with other characters pointing out um, that Spider-Man has gotten help from other people. But, but yeah, it, it, it does seem very contradictory and, and inadvertently so – where you know we're trying to accentuate on one page that Peter has grown as this character, and then, like you said, get undercut two seconds later by being like same old Spider-Man can't can't bail himself out. You know what I mean? It's like I, like, and I don't like I said I don't think this was meant to be intentional. Like it just this just seemed like sloppy writing and sloppy editing. Yeah. And to get to the kind of sloppy uh, writing, and I don't know if this is sloppy writing, but it's just kind of indicative of this kind of writing style and I think how bloated Volume 4 has been at times. Like there's just so many characters. So we finally check back in with Lien, who, if you don't remember, was Peter's kind of love interest who sabotaged the company and was then invited back into the company because the reason for her sabotage was that she wanted to get money to fund her mother's cancer research. If you have even remembered all of that from a year ago or whatever it's been, we get the resolution to that is that the mother is cured of cancer, this character we've never met before. And she's so thankful that Peter invested funds into that. Whatever that even means. Like, have we seen a repercussion for him? Mm, like, yeah. Like, it's, it's such a nonsense, not needed plot point. It's, we get to spend two or three pages on it here. Okay, yes, we got a resolution to that. But what does it mean? I don't know what it means. Yeah. It's, it's, it's resolution to a story no one asked for. Um, and, 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 and we get a lot of that. And then, you know we're supposed to kind of like think that this is some kind of like long-term planning of, of, of plot points when it's just kind of like, you know, if we're sitting there being like, Oh yeah, remember all that? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, that's not a know, great was, emotion to get out of someone. Uh, oh yeah. Like if that's, yeah. <laughs> that, that's not a really great payoff. Like I was actually tagged in a conversation on Twitter uh, recently about um, commenting on, was it Philip Chang's uh, scarred face? Oh, yeah. And, and someone, you know, and they tagged Dan Slott and said, so what happened here? Should we know why his face is like this? And and Dan Slott responded and was like, oh, well, I referenced it in, in, in issue six or whatever. It was during the Shanghai arc with Cloak and Dagger that, he, you know, he said something about an experiment. But like, they never actually showed it, but like it's just like one of those things where because it got some semblance of lip service a year and a half ago, it's supposed to still matter. I don't, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like it just seems like like 
every time you see the character, you know, and how they're re- and how he's rendered now, you're supposed to remember. Oh wait, why is he like that? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I had gone so far in mental gymnastics. So as to rewrite all of my knowledge of the Philip Chang character to be like, oh, yeah, he's always had that scar. That's just who he is. And then, no. yeah, seeing that on Twitter, I was like, oh, yeah, he didn't have that scar. Right, Why right, was I right. thinking that? Yeah, I mean, whatever. Um, There's so... this weird page in this book I wanted to point out where Aunt May is at the airport. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. And she's kind of like lamenting and how she needs to do something for the company because it's like her, you know, late husband's name is on the company and her fortunes are tied up in it. And she goes to go through the metal detector and they're like, we're not going to let webware on the plane because it's been known to blow up. Now, that, <laughs> that could be seeding a detail for later on in the story. But like it's such a weird thing to spend a whole page on because we already know that. We already know that people are skeptical about this thing. Why spend this amount of time on this? Yeah, it it it, it just seems to be like another like this is this this arc is supposed to be what three parts? Is it? Or is it three or four? I don't Do know. know. I can't remember. Um, I think it's only three issues, and and you know when you get an issue like this one, it just ma- it makes you wonder like. You know, was did we really only have two and a half issues worth of plot and, and we had to kind of just fluff it up with all this other stuff? Because we finally get to, after all this weird exposition and weird scenes with Aunt May and Leanne and Philip Chang and all that, I mean, we have the conflict, the, the, the battle between Spider-Man and Doc Ock. And the first thing that I, I – I, or Superior Otto or whatever you want to call him, you know, and the first thing I want to comment on is, is Eminem's – rendering of of Ock here which is i think fantastic like this is some of the best the characters ever look with the, with his tentacles at least right yeah i still lament like that we don't aren't seeing his face i think his mask is kind of weirdly expressionless um but like yeah the tentacles are great they're super long but it allows him to kind of like cast this shadow over the street there's that great image of the tentacles just like carving into the pavement and scaring everybody in shanghai i love it it reminds me of kind of like uh uh spider-man 2 the movie a little bit like i can really feel how terrifying those tentacles would be to see yeah and and as as great as this is visually and, and it's conveying these fears, you know, I, I, I do have to say, like, I'm a little confused because and, – and if I'm misremembering or, or oversimplifying, I apologize. But, you know, like one issue prior, Spider-Man pretty much beat Otto but got pulled away because of Secret Empire stuff. And, like, now all of a sudden it's like – Oh, you know, the odds are against me. And, like, I, when did this change emotionally? <laughs> right. Yeah. Or why didn't Otto bring this level of menace? Or, or like, he's – well, I mean, at first you think he's going to attack with, like, all of his forces here. Uh, you know, after he suspects that Peter's going to do the same to him. So I don't know if he's trying to shake him down by just appearing on his own. And we let, later he gets, you know, inverted or whatever. But – um uh, yeah, it's like why didn't Otto attack with this level of menace the first time? Yeah, because you know, I know that Otto is always playing chess. It seems you know eight dimensional chess, but like you know, you can't really bank on the fact that 
you know, your adversary is going to get pulled away from the fight to go deal with something else. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, like I pulled my punches the first time because I knew, you know what I mean? That makes no sense. Like, you know, we, we uh, whatever. It, it frustrated me because it was like, not that the character was treated like a joke last time out, but like, you know, it, it was kind of like, oh, here we go again. And, you know, and, and I think I even said in the last episode, like these fights between Peter and Otto at this point are kind of getting played out because like Peter just continually gets the upper hand now. Like there hasn't been this this dire threat of what's going to happen now. I mean, you know, since 700 or since Superior 9 that that's Otto could truly get the upper hand again on him. And it, yeah. it just doesn't feel like it's being built that way. And now all of a sudden, like in this issue, it was like, oh, man, what, how am I going to beat this guy? You know, and it's like you, you beat him five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> it, but it is still a really cool moment, you know, so like it's undercut yeah. a bit, but it's still really cool because he, you know, flips the Parker Industries like logo they do it earlier in the comic in the issue for you to see and i don't know did you pick up on it when otto did it um like a few pages earlier where he turned off the switches uh uh in new york city to the uh the parker industries no i missed that yeah so then he does it here and says it's been you know otto octavius's name on the building the whole time i it's as plain as day that it's there yeah. And I totally missed it, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's some really cool twists in this story that I don't want to completely undersell. I mean, but, you know, the setup to it is this very clunky and contradictory and, and frustrating in that way that the book had not been for a few months now, you know? Like, yeah. I feel like we're getting back to some of those old habits. I mean... Even even last issue, which I mean, we didn't love as much as some of the other ones, but like I, I felt like it was pretty clean in terms of its execution. And this yeah. this I feel is kind of stepping back into what it was. Um, we finally got some kind of payoff with Peter and Bobby Morse here for whatever that's worth. Um, you know, I don't know if you're a fan of this romance. I still don't see this romance going anywhere or meaning anything in the long run, but. I guess they're they're at least going to kiss here and there now. <laughs> yeah, I kind of liked how boyishly drawn Peter was by Eminem. Like, it's kind of a like a it's a cute moment because he he seems genuinely surprised by it to a certain regard, but also kind of like uh, like youthfully tickled by it. And yeah. I thought it was like really heartfully rendered by Eminem, and he sold it to me in a way that the script. Did not, and I think that's the real benefit that Eminent has kind of brought to this book is he sold so many moments for me that I otherwise would have like rolled my eyes at. But like, it's amazing what a little like line of Peter's like you know smiling curled lips can do to kind of you know warm you to a moment. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's a well rendered moment. I mean, it's just I, I guess you know. I, Without speculating too much, it's just, you know, there's still been nothing planted in any of this interchange and just also how the character has been portrayed for the last decade since One More Day that indicates that this in the long run will mean anything. And and I'm just kind of like, why are we really going to go through with this 
if it's just going to get negated probably in some kind of silly way. <laughs> Are we going to be that way with every relationship Peter has except for MJ moving forward? Like have they – by playing their cards on how much they didn't like the marriage, have they like basically rendered all relationships with Peter moot at this point? I think it's – I kind of feel that way. I don't know if that's fair or not, but you know – it just it just seems like any any kind of relationship or or romance or whatever i mean even something like you know peter and gwen in um in uh dead no more it's like it just seems like the precedent has been set that if there is a relationship it's going to end badly and if if they even hint at romance, it's usually going to get undone within an issue or two. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I guess it's until until they do a storyline that, I don't know, is more honest about what Spider-Man in a relationship, not necessarily a marriage, but a relationship looks like that's not MJ, then what's the point of it all? I mean, even even MJ was treated like, you know, like they were like, looks like they were finally going to maybe not get back together, at least hit a new level of closeness after Spider Island, and then it was all undone, <laughs> like, within right. moments. Um, and that's just frustrating. It just doesn't doesn't allow me to trust that, that plot point anymore in any capacity. The editorial became too obvious. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. And, and, and it's like, it's one of the few times I can really think about that, like, the editorial showing itself so nakedly has like just damaged this huge part of what we love about the character. I don't want to go down the whole one more day, brand new day route right now, but it is it is a it's a significant impediment to enjoying these kinds of stories. Right, because like you said, I mean, this is a moment that otherwise was well sold visually. Yeah, and and it could mean something, but. You know, we're being jaded to the fact based on editorial decisions, not not art artistic decisions, and that's and that's disappointing. Yeah. So, Mark, getting back to the end, you know, we've got this inversion. The Otto Octavius logo is on the Parker Industries building. His, you know, name is in tatters because smoke is coming out of Parker Industries in New York City, and they're blaming it on him. And now all these vehicles turn on him. What did you think of that moment? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all very epic and cool. And, you know, again, I wish that Otto was sold more as a threat earlier in this story. But, like, you know, it looks like, you know, we're, we're getting, you know, after kind of wading through this issue that felt almost a little superfluous, we're, we're getting to what we read Spider-Man comics for, which is like this idea of how is he going to, how is he going to get out of this or, or, or what's going to happen at now? And, and I, I, it did leave me legitimately curious about what, what's, what the next issue will bring in regards to the resolution to this, uh, confrontation. Uh, so points for that, you know, like it, it, it felt grand, but it just, you know, there was just too much preceding it that felt, much less than grand. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm genuinely excited about the next issue. I feel like, I mean, I don't think all confrontations like this should have this kind of mixed build up, but I'm still excited for the resolution, nevertheless. 
Right. So take so, my money, Marvel, as if you weren't yeah. already expecting it. Exactly. And, and, <laughs> and on that note, Dan, what's your, what's your grade on it? I'm giving this one a C minus. Eh, story, but the art is phenomenal. Yeah, and a good ending. And, yeah, and good I ending, am yeah. I am right there, one hundred percent with you. C minus for me as well. I think, you know, once again, the Dan and Mark team very rarely disagree on new issues. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame. I wish we could argue over this stuff some more. I thought it was great. <laughs> Shut your no. mouth. No, we we might have some some not disagreements, but some interesting. Um, debate in our homecoming episode, but for now, we're we're kind of you know we're 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 in lockstep, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. All right, yeah. well, thanks again to all the Patreon supporters for uh, for helping us out, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. I forgot how much fun it was to review these issues as the book started getting its groove back again. Oh, and speaking of groovy, I forgot to mention that if you sign up for our Patreon membership, which is, as I said, $3.99 a month, but this time if you sign up anywhere over $10 a month, every six months we'll send you an exclusive full-page size art print from a famous Spider-Man comics artist. Our first print is going to be done by none other than Ron Friends the artist who introduced the world to Spider-Man's black costume all the way back in Amazing Spider-Man 252. He's going to be doing his own interpretation of one of the best scenes from Spider-Man ever, the moment in Amazing Spider-Man number 33 where Spidey is lifting tons of steel over his head so he can save his Aunt May. I can't wait to see how it turns out and get it sent out to all of our amazing supporters. Okay, enough plugging for me. Let's get back to the reviews. Our next review is of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, Number 31, from the usual band of misfits. Except this time, Christos Gage has bowed out, and the sole writing credit is in Dan Slott's hands. This one is the end of the Secret Empire crossover, and the end of Parker Industries. Let's listen in to hear what we thought. Uh, today, Dan and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 4, Number 31, by Dan Slott, Stuart Immonen, Wade Von Grodbadger, Marte Gracia, Joe Caramanga, and Alex Ross. Man, that Von Grodbadger remains a ton of fun to say. Always a diehard villain. Always a diehard villain. Dan, so this was the end of the Secret Empire tie-in, uh, but it also ended up being... The end of basically Parker Industries as we know it, right? I mean, is there is there any kind of indication that that this was a false start <laughs> or a false end? <laughs> I mean, no, I don't think so. Although I think we've thought that we were have been here several times already. Yeah. Um, so I mean, just kind of looking at this from from the broad level, I, I actually found this. You know, not not that I wasn't into the last two issues, but you know, it was a little mixed with the whole. S- kind of forced secret empire tie-in and i found from that regard in terms of the three-part arc that we got here this was a very satisfying conclusion to that arc um very well executed it felt kind of tidy and conclusive for lack of a better word uh in terms of tying up the whole parker industries uh arc from basically going back to 2015 when this volume four began um it was fine, but um, as you kind of alluded to, 
I had some issues with it from a from a larger narrative construction standpoint, but you know we can get to that in a moment. Um, but let's talk first about at least just this in terms of Secret Empire and wrapping up the tie-in. What, what did you have any general thoughts on that? I thought this was a surprisingly good issue because it, in a weird way, I mean, not only did, like you said, it didn't it just it tied up the Secret Empire story. And it tied up Parker Industries, but it's also like strangely a nice tie up to the Superior Spider-Man story. Like all of the ideas of like when Peter came back, and you know, not only does he have this company, but like how he's been behaving a little bit more like Otto. And um, the conclusion of the story is a really interesting, um, I think, like mirror ending to Superior, where. You know, in Superior, Otto wasn't able to sacrifice himself in order to save the ones that he loves. And this one is the mirror story. Peter is ready and prepared to sacrifice everything, you know, to be responsible. And I I thought, wow, like for this kind of random third part of a story issue of this tie-in, like there's a lot of really interesting thematic stuff going on in this in this book it feels like a real end of a chapter of like a big chapter yeah i mean this was probably the first time where you know at the end doc kind of slinks off but it wasn't like like they're there and i could be proven wrong about this in a few months time but it really did feel like he's out of the picture for a while now like he's he is regrouping and going to find a new way in. But in terms of all of his machinations to kind of infiltrate Peter's life and regain his spot that he feels is his, I think that plan is now over, right? Yeah. I mean, Peter doesn't know what he looks like. He's going to get rid of this Hydra costume, I imagine. He's at his lowest point because he's someone else's lackey, which is exactly what he never wanted to be. Like, in a way, like, it closed – this closes, like, several characters' stories and, you know, like, this overall greater, like, story that he's been telling through Volume 4 and Volume 3 and Superior. I just thought, like, it, like it was handled surprisingly well. Peter comes out of this looking pretty good, like, in terms of how I feel about his char- how his character was represented. Early on, we talked about – our fear that the only way to get out of volume four would be to make Peter look like a loser. And Mm. I don't feel like that's true at all in this story. Oh no, definitely not. I mean, it's, it's, it's described as a noble sacrifice. I mean, you know, there, there are some potential consequences, although I do feel that they're kind of wasted a little bit um, in this issue somewhat, but we'll get to that in a moment. Um, But, you know, I, I did appreciate that, you know, as they're like, as Peter is instructing them to purge their files and stuff, there's like this one moment where, you know, one guy is kind of like, oh, I guess I got to get the old resume back. And the other guy's like, no, this is great. We're like saving the world from evil. This is, this is, you know, like what a better way to go down and, and for the ship to go down. You know what I mean? Like, and I, and I feel like, like the fact that that beat was hit upon, even if it was hit upon very very blatantly it was just important to kind of reinforce that you know yeah this is going to set peter back financially and status wise and you know he's probably going to go back to being that more loserish character that we're used to 
it was still a noble move, uh, and it was a redeeming move. Yeah, it was a, like like victory in loss. Correct. You know, just in terms of looking at the smaller picture about you know this wrapping up the whole Secret Empire thing, uh, I personally feel this issue worked the best out of all three issues because it probably deals with, with Secret Empire the least. You know, I'm still not reading the series. I, I and you know, not for any of the reasons that you know, seem to be attached to the series just because I'm just not interested in it right now and I'll catch up with it on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, but for the most part, especially the uh, the second issue of this three-part arc, Dan, I thought was really kind of like, uh, you know, a bit of a slog whenever there was overly referencing the events of the story and what this what was at stake. This just felt like it was a Peter and Otto story and a Parker Industries story uh, and the Secret Empire took a back seat, and I felt it was most effective that way. Do you agree? I absolutely agree. But I still think there are some associations this issue has with Secret Empire that I'm honestly like a bit confused about. Um, and so maybe you can um, like fill me in on this if you know the answer because uh, okay, I, uh, maybe I just missed something. But I read it multiple times and and still didn't quite pick up on it. But I'm curious, what what did it mean that Hydra didn't know Otto's actions at this particular Parker Industries? You know, like there's that moment where Peter realizes that Otto is only using like, you know, pronouns referring to himself instead of like we. Um, and he says, oh, Hydra has no idea that you're here. And then that seems to kind of trigger in Peter this idea that he should shut everything down. I mean, I thought it was an interesting character beat for Otto, showing that he's not really, like, a true part of Hydra and was just using them for his own means. But I'm unsure of, like, what that meant for Peter to realize that. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not I, – I probably missed the nuance in that. I, 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 I just kind of saw Peter going to the next step and was just kind of riding it out from there. But I didn't, I didn't quite pick up on that inflection that might have – triggered this so I, I i can't give you an answer there dad yeah i just i thought it was like he calls it out and i was like well that's interesting but what does that mean for this story and then also i'm kind of unsure like what happened with um uh the company and people that were in new york city i mean that seemed to be the threat in the first issue of this series where peter had to make a choice he could either go you know save his friends in new york or he could go and uh, you know fight in Washington D.C. alongside you know the Captain America battle from Secret Empire, but it, in my mind, Otto put like a bubble around New York City. Is that just gone now? Yeah, that was very that was unclear to me too. And I was even thinking about the fact that when they mentioned in the in the book in thir- in thirty one, like oh, and you know the, your your offices in New York are down. I'm like, well, are they down? Or, or the, this, I, that was very unclear to me. Yeah, it seems like they had like blown up a part of the thing, like. But I don't think the building was destroyed, right? That means the Baxter Building is destroyed, right? Um, yeah, which would be problematic for other levels, but maybe not for Marvel. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's just let's just rub the salt in that wound a little deeper now. <laughs> yeah, so those were my confusions regarding like the secret empire broader kind of 
universe stuff. But yeah, I, I agree with your point that got me onto this tangent is that, yes, the, the Spider-Man autofocus stuff is really tight and, and really, uh, I think, a, a wonderful payoff to their long-standing fight between each other. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but in terms of, like, you know, where I kind of felt this story felt a little short from, like, again, kind of wrapping up larger storylines. I mean, let's start with the Parker Industries one, because I think what you said in the beginning is is true in that I feel like this is probably a tidier Peter Otto story than it is a Peter Parker industry story. Does that sound fair to you? Yeah, I mean, I like that it's all tied in together because, you know, how fitting that Otto created this thing and a story with Otto would destroy this thing. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it was appropriate. I said, I, I mean, for me, one of the big things is this is, you know, we've seen this beat twice recently before in that Peter kind of in a gambit to defeat the bad guy more or less sacrifices something to do with the company. I mean, we saw it during uh, Dead No More with... Um, the webware. With the webware. And then we saw it again during the Osborne identity where, you know, he's basically told by S.H.I.E.L.D., do not go to to um, Simcaria to, to, to fight Norman Osborne, and he does it anyway, and then knows that that's going to, like, sever ties with basically his number one, you know contractor or whatever you want to call shield relationship to Parker industries, um, buyer vendor, whatever. It's not that like, it's not that I necessarily feel that this is like the boy who cried wolf per se, but like we've seen Peter already kind of be, um, a little cavalier about his stake in the company for the better good. So it kind of made this sacrifice, not that it meant less, but it was like, all right, all right. So now he's just like, I mean, he's already been pulling the plug out of the wall. Now he pulls it out. So like to me, it lost some of its oomph. You know, it wasn't like in these other instances, he was kind of fighting for dear life to maintain like his iron grip on this company. And like, you know, kind of like what you were saying earlier, like, oh, is Peter becoming more like Otto and blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that point would have been driven home more if maybe those earlier situations never came to be. And then this was finally his wake up call moment and he did what he did. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And it feels to me like it's kind of like they were going down like a route where he was going to be picking, picked apart by piecemeal, you know, like every little sting would eventually add up. Whereas here he literally just like pulls the plug out. You know, yeah, and it's like it was kind of aborted halfway. Even if it's done really well here, it, yeah, it feels like a change in in direction. Uh, you know, for that, and and I think there's some kind of like weird hand waviness about um, you know how much of this was earned by Peter. I mean, throughout the series, we've gotten a lot of this where like. In this issue particularly, Otto says, like, I created this company. Like, I, like, was the reason it was successful. And Peter kind of, like, fights back against that. But the same thing was said, you know, with, um, you know, Peter's fight against the Zodiac. You know, like, they also manipulated the company and flushed them with cash. You know, so, like, 
there's been a lot of repeats of this, and there was no real payoff for whether or not Peter had actually earned this company. So you're right. The whole thing is kind of a lot of beats that have been done before just finally coming to a close, maybe not completely. Yeah. I mean, there's always that chance that the door is going to be open. And, um, you know, my, my other issues with that in that regard is I feel like this is a story that, you know, in terms of supporting cast suffered for not having much of Anna Maria, if at all, was she even, she didn't show up at all in this, right? No, not at all. And, you know, I feel like, you know, she's been a very pivotal part. I mean, she was even in the first part of this arc and like her little side plot kind of just got dropped altogether. Um, I feel like she was kind of pushed aside in favor of this arc with, with Lynn and her mother, which was fine. But again, like, I really don't care about this character, you know, like, like, I feel like this is a character that we were, were being told to care about because, you know, she's kind of periodically shown up. Um, Imagine and, if it was um, if it was Anna Maria in that car driving into Doctor Octopus and ruining his chances of taking the company back. Yeah, that would have been exactly. a way more dramatic moment, and it would have capped off that story because one of the reasons we're told that Otto is coming back is to reclaim his you know relationship with Anna Maria, right. and that is dropped as well. Not to mention that, you know, you could argue that, uh, I mean, I'm sure Otto would disagree if you asked him, but I mean, Anna Maria probably has as much to do with building up Parker Industries as he did in terms of like kind of being his trusted advisor in in the lab and, and, you know, in terms of building up like the nanotech and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was really her and um, oh the other character I can't remember from Horizon Labs who joined the group for a while. That was like kind of part of the core of Parker Industries initially. <laughs> but who's constantly sabotaging it? Sajani? Sajani, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would have been nice to see Anna Maria, like, I mean, maybe she would have a moment of hesitation, you know, um, or something. I mean, I don't know what her character would do to react to this. Maybe we'll get it in the next issue with a fallout with her. But, yeah, yeah. it could have been an interesting moment. Instead, we got this stuff with, like, um, uh, like Philip Wu. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if, like... Him having his green energy stuff flushed down the toilet is going to spark him to become a villain of some kind. But I've never really connected to this storyline. No. And we were even – didn't you even like ask Dan Slott online like, so what's the deal with his face? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and it was like, oh, this happened like – it was like in some random issue off panel, right, that it happened? Yeah, apparently it happened off panel. Um, which just Which just goes to show like – you know, if if there's this major moment with a character that disfigures them and we can't even see it, is this character really that important? I, I mean, I don't, I hate to be that glib about it, but I mean, it's kind of what it is, right? Yeah, but well, um, I think we're being. I feel like we're being negative. So to no, get, to, get I, us, I, I, to get us out of this, I want to talk about the artwork. Okay, well, can I can I hit one more negative uh, yeah, yeah, thing fine. before we talk about fine. that? Right? Okay, that's fine. no, no, I mean it's just again, it, it, just talking about it in regards to this Parker Industries conclusion. Um, you know, there was this moment during like the the kind of the build up to what was going on with Peter, and and you had this moment with Aunt May kind of being like, "Oh, how could you, Peter?" You know, like, and I and I was like, 
this is this is good because we've we've talked about this in the past on the show. I mean, Aunt May and and her late husband had a major stake in this company. I mean, and 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 they invested in this, and this was all going up in smoke. And I was like, oh, you know, like this is this is a good source of tension. This could this could pay off with more stories down the line. And then, I, I mean, granted, they could they could still go back to that. Well, uh, nothing is final, but I feel like they kind of closed the door on it being that dramatic when, um, you know, after talking to Lynn and Lynn's mother and all this about, you know, the making sacrifices and stuff like that, you know, May is in the presence of Spider-Man and she says, tell Peter I'm proud of him. And not that I would not expect May to come around at some point, but I, I, I think that, you know, that should have been written out a bit more in terms of, her horror at what had just happened, like her her legacy going down the drain. I agree with you completely, but I I do want to say I did find it touching and um and like I, I, I and moving the moment where we see Peter saying with great pa- like a man taught me with great power must also come great responsibility before he's cut off by someone bashing the computer in, and we get the idea that that's where Aunt May kind of got her final like inspiration that Peter is actually living up to um, his uncle's motto in this moment. Um, I thought that was really moving, but you're right. That could definitely have come later and we could have mined this a little more for more tension. And yeah, if, if it goes back on it, it will feel like a retread. Um, uh, I agree with you. Even if I was moved by the moment in this issue, (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. All right, but let's talk about the artwork because I mean, Eminem again knocks it out of the park. I mean, from start to finish, right? Well, especially at the start, that image of them kind of twisted vertically um, on the page where Spider-Man is held aloft by the like spider mobiles or what do they call them? Spider racers in this in yeah. this issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm all about that image. I thought that was like. Awesome, and I remember like Dan Slott and the team was like saying how excited they were about this page on Twitter months ago. So it's nice to see it kind of finally revealed. It was super cool. Yeah, and I mean, just everything that Eminent has done with this superior Otto or octopus or whatever you want to call him here, with the arms and like, I mean, one of my favorite modern images of Doc Ock was that. ASM 600 Alex Ross variant cover with like Peter like twisted up in the arms, but I feel like um, Eminem just does it one better. And like now, I, I want to see him do a traditional auto story. You know what I mean? Like like you know, kind of <laughs> like I'm just thinking of like those old school like Ramita Spider-Man uh, Doc Ock fights and like how just how stylized and dynamic they'd be with someone like Eminem doing it and and i just want to see that over and over again do we know if eminence can going to continue on this book because i know the next issue the interior artwork is being done by greg smallwood who i don't really know but um i, I hope this isn't the end of eminence i thought i saw on the legacy solicit that you know, when it goes back to legacy numbering, that Eminem's name was on it. Yeah, you're probably right. I, I just – I'm so thrilled by him being on this book. This whole art team I think is turning in their best work they've ever done. And um, 
it's just so fun to read. And, and like you said, uh, like, uh, Ock is, is great. What did you think about the moment um, uh, where Peter's costume is blasted away, which I thought was really cool, to reveal the old costume? Um, I mean, I don't know if this is like an imminent thing, um, but kind of like a cool moment undone by the fact that the costume doesn't really look that different from his, t- his new costume. Well, yeah. I mean, I was going to say, it's it's a thematically great moment. Um, and what it means is, I think, probably more than how it looks. Because, yeah, I mean, in terms of how it actually looks, while it was well done, given what it was, I do feel like, okay, so, like, the spider on his chest isn't glowing. I mean, there's really not much more to it than that. <laughs> yeah, the lines I mean, are a little different. I, I was thinking, like, I was thinking about this, like, how would you portray this in a more visually interesting way? And, I, I, and, and the best way that I could come up with is, like, you know, the costume has kind of had liquid-like um, properties. Like, maybe having it, like, melt off of him with the kind of, like, electricity of the suit – like flickering on and off or something like that, like could have been more interesting. Um, I I don't know. I mean, it's hard. It's a hard thing to communicate visually, and it looked cool, but um, it didn't have the punch that, like, say, like the end of Amazing Spider-Man three hundred does with the return of the Red and Blues. Yeah. Um. What else you got? What's What are some of your other? You have any other big thoughts on this one or? Um, n- not really. I mean, I, I, I love this. I thought there was some great humor in this, strangely enough. The, yeah. the bit with the guy commenting how Otto must practice laughing, uh, <laughs> and he can hear him from, like, all the way down on the street, I thought was uh, really hilarious because it's, like, it's good character-based humor. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I feel like for a number of issues now, Slot is kind of recentered himself on the right kind of humor to be mixing in and and maybe when you contrast it to what you're getting in spectacular spider-man right now it's 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 it just looks better by default you know what i mean like i um but but i feel like some of the the hokey corny pop culture heavy jokes have kind of taken a back seat to more traditional spider-man humor and, and dan is getting it right Ab- absolutely um I just want to point out, Silver Surfer has been done for a little while now, and I really like that book. I don't think it's any coincidence that the minute Silver Surfer ended, this book has sprung back to being a really great read. Yeah, absolutely. It just seems a lot more focused, and and I think that's the biggest critique that we consistently made over the you know the last couple of years, where it just felt like there were moments where. The focus was being pulled in too many different directions, and it was hard to really get a sense of what Dan Slott and Marvel were going for here. But if this is if this is what we're going to get, for me personally, Dan, it it it, it reduces the need to quote unquote try something new because this does kind of feel new again, in that it's it just seems like a renewed vigor and enthusiasm for the character and the series. Yeah, I mean, we get a lot of people that, uh, I mean, especially on Reddit, <laughs> which yeah. maybe says something about Reddit. A lot of people that are like, I don't care about this reboot as long as Dan Slott is a part of it. And you and I have, like, expressed some of our um, exhaustion from Dan Slott being on the book for so long. But if we're getting issues that are this fun to read, I can't complain 
at all. And maybe it was just that the guy was doing too much. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to police his online presence. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although right, sometimes right. I make vague uh, allusions to it on, on or not so vague allusions to it on my feed. But like – I don't know. Some people just – they got to find their sweet spot for the right number of titles they can produce. And uh, I'm all for Spider-Man being good again under Dan Slott's pen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean I, 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 think, I think the real test will be the next time there's a big spider event. Like I don't feel like Osborne – uh, identity was a true event. It was it was a big story from a Spider-Man standpoint, but it wasn't like you know one of these things with multiple tie-ins and mini series and offshoots and things like that. Um, I think that's going to be um, the proof in the pudding, so to speak. If if the quality can maintain uh, during the next you know whatever the next iteration of Dead No More or Spider Verse turns out to be, and they're already hinting at that in some of the solicits, which yeah. I mean, come on, but <laughs> well, you got eight hundred coming up. I mean, that's a that's an interesting point to try something different, you know. Yeah, so all hints have been that it's going to change up quite significantly around then. So, um, yeah. I'm excited. Uh, my my interest in this book is back. He's going to swap brains and bodies with the living brain. I'm back, <laughs> uh, Mark. Yeah. What's your grade on this book? I'm giving it a solid B, Dan. How about you? I'm going to go well, slightly higher with a B plus. I, I mean, l- look at this. This is a great string for us, Mark. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I this is this is a a B that it's a well earned B. Does that make sense? I yeah. Mean, you know, I I was almost on B plus. I just you know kind of at the last second just knocked off a little bit of it from you know with some of the criticism i gave in regards to the parker industry stuff but uh, overall i enjoyed this comic immensely it's i i you know i guess i'm getting off the curve that's the bottom line it's like okay <laughs> you know we could we could be we could be hard on it while still enjoying it now which is a good place to be in personally parker and industries ended and so did the curve there you go <laughs> there you go All right, I hope you enjoyed that review as well. Let's keep this train rolling and find our way into our final review of this episode and the final review of Volume 4 of Amazing Spider-Man. This time we're talking Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, Number 32, a story that follows Norman Osborn's ongoing quest to reawaken the goblin inside of himself. This one's written by Dan Slott, illustrated by Greg Smallwood, colored by Jordi Belair, and lettered by... You heard it right, Joe Caramagna. I hope you enjoy our conversation. All right, welcome back, Patreon subscribers. Today, Mark and I are going to be recording. Well, we're recording it right now, but we're going to be talking about Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, number 32, and... If I'm correct, this is the end of Volume 4. Unless, of course, all the numbered ones after this also count as Volume 4. Or are they part of Volume 1? I don't know. Mark, <sighs> do you know how these things work? Obviously, no. There was the last Patreon episode that clearly showed that. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Oh, I do want to say that um, 
people have responded to the last Patreon episode, and um, I think Mark and I will be doing a follow-up at some point uh, with <laughs> all of your feelings about it. Okay, very good. Um, but let's talk about our feelings here by, with uh, Personal Demon by Dan Slott and Greg Smallwood. This was kind of a, a deep-dive Norman Osborne issue. This kind of reminded me of that uh, pre-ends-of-the-earth issue we got that just focused strictly on the Sinister Six. Uh, and I remember at the time I really enjoyed that one as well as kind of a, a, a diversion from the, you know, it's kind of like before we get back to our regularly scheduled episode, let's let's check in on on this delightfully evil character. I, I but, remember not liking that issue. Oh, well, we didn't have the show then, so... Um, so, but Dan, it sounds like you like this one a lot. So, so what, what, what was it about this one that kind of tickled your fancy versus that, that ends of the earth issue? Or was that just cause, you know, ends of the earth overall was not your, your cup of tea? I mean, I think that has something to do with it. I mean, I think a lot of the reason I didn't particularly like that issue was it wasn't particularly character oriented. It was kind of about this like super villain team and it, fighting some kind of really obscure threat. Um, I forget exactly who it was they fought in that book. Uh, uh, it was like MODOK and, and the, um, you know, the MODOK AIM crew, I think. Yeah, and um, I thought their powers were very exaggerated in that book, and, and the personas were kind of blown up a little bit. Like, they kind of are in team books. And I struggle a lot of times with good team books because I feel like, a lot of the characters end up becoming caricatures of themselves. And I felt like this issue was the total opposite of that. Like, it's very specifically character-oriented to one guy. And I felt like the the way that Norman Osborn's portrayed in this book was very faithful to, you know, the character as we've come to know him over the years, including this recent change for him. And... It also really caught me off guard in a way that I think some of the best Dan Slott comics have. You know, it presents you with one thing um, that challenges your understanding of a character only to kind of like twist it around in a way that I think is very character oriented. Um, so that's how, that's what I, I, I kind of why I kind of like this issue. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, like I, I definitely enjoyed the fact that um... – you know, in a lot of ways, you, you you referred to the recent changes that Norman had gone through, and this this story seems to be a very adamant attempt at kind of recentering the character. I mean, you know, there's even you know in the very beginning when he's like approaching the the, the mystical ones or whatever the, whatever we're calling them. You know, and they're asking about, is it, you know, are you here for your appearance? And he's like, no, it's not, a, it's not, not about how I look on the outside. I want to, I want to re, re, you know, find who I am again on the inside. And that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell for Norman. I mean, like this character in, in essentially going sane has kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say he's lost his edge, but I, I, to me, the, the, the going sane change for the character has been an odd one. Um, I, I, I still don't know if I fully buy it because if the character is sane, then why is he so desperate to retap into the green goblin right now? You know what I mean? It's, it seems very counterintuitive to me. And that's kind of where 
for me, some of the threads of the story start to unravel and then kind of keep going and going for me. Again, I liked this issue overall. I just, I, I, you know, based on your review on the website, Dan, I, I, I know I did not like it as much as you did. Um, because like, you know, I almost feel like we're, we're, we're starting the whole premise of the issue is trying to undo not a wrong, but maybe a, a misdirection for the character that didn't make the most sense, but was at least a hearty attempt to kind of change and make the character grow a little bit. Whereas, you know, I don't know, maybe this was an element that didn't need to change for the character. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I, I feel uh, similarly to you, but also kind of seeing it a little bit differently. You know, I, I never really feel like I got a really good grasp on what it meant for Norman to be sane. Um, although I feel like some of the actions in this book kind of demonstrate it in a wonderful way. Um, like his approach to kind of how he handles this by going to different experts and asking their opinions and things like that, like kind of goes back to that very business businessman like Norman Osborn. And I think in the pages of any Spider-Man comic that deals with Norman, there's always been that kind of question of whether he was crazy before the goblin happened to him or whether he wasn't. Um, I mean, even in like the Stan Lee era, you know, he would have amnesia and go back to being a normal dude, you know? And I felt like this book provides one of the clearest answers to that is that like, there's always been something wrong with Norman, uh, but but that the goblin unlocks this kind of, um, I guess, devil in him where he just acts. Um, and I feel like this is Norman's attempt to just kind of, you know, like re-seize that kind of crazed potential. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, the whole thrust behind the character in the first place is, you know, the goblin serum and the accident kind of heightens him physically but and and mentally but like you know to be heightened there has to be a baseline you know i mean like you're saying like this this is this has always been an inherent part of the character and and you know you could say this chemical or this accident or whatever uh, brings out the worst or whatever in him, but the fact of the matter is, there's there's something in there to be brought out. It's not it's not like you know this this is a sweet and innocent character who went went crazy. I I I I've never really thought that about Norman. I don't think you can think that about him. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and that's why I like this. It like it's it, the end of the story is explicitly. Like you might be sane, but the goblin is still there, you know, in, in some in some way. So like, the, for all these like you know things of this comic telling us that Norman is without the goblin serum and now he's a sane guy, like this book says, like no, that that was never the case. Like you might not be heightened, but you're still like a lunatic capable of incredible destruction, you know, no matter what power is given to you. Right. I mean, I guess for me, you know, just to kind of stop tiptoeing around it, I mean, what what kind of 
threw me about this comic specifically was the fact that, I mean, you know, the whole narrative is about Norman kind of seeking this heightened power and enlightenment via the, the, the mystical channels a la like a Doctor Strange or a Doctor Doom. And it just seems that as a starting point seems like a very off beat for me because I was like, this is like, you know, the last time we kind of got Norman doing Hocus Pocus was the gathering of five, which I think for the most part is kind of a story that time wants us to forget. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, And, and, you know, I was originally like, "Well, we're going. Or are we? Are we going back to the Gathering of Five? And no, that wasn't it. But I was like, you know, what is what is Norman like going down the path of Doctor Doom now? Like, like that didn't that didn't seem like like a logical um, progression for the character. And but as this comic is going, it's like, all right, no, it's Dan Slott's going for it, and I'm like, all right. All right, it, you know, like uh, let me Nate, let me tip my hat, let me see where this goes, and then it turns out the whole thing was a bait and switch, and that you know they basically end the story by saying, you know, you are not meant for these ways, and it's like, well, yeah, I could have told you that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like to me, it was a bait and switch of something that didn't need to be baited or switched. It's like we we I like, you know, I. A bait, a bait and switch works best for me when you can kind of believe the journey in the first place and then kind of get thrown by the curveball. Whereas, like, kind of as the story is going, I'm like, all right, I mean, you know, I'll I'll buy into this because this seems like something Dan Slott wants to do. Oh, wait, no, he doesn't want to do it, you know, and, and, and that's that. And we're kind of back to square one again. I can totally understand that, and I think that's probably a lot of the reading of this comic for a lot of people that read it is like they feel kind of cheated by it. Um, but I can only speak for my own reading of it is I had a very similar journey with you where the whole time I was like, there's no way that this is where this character is going, and if it is where the character is going, like I don't really like that for this character. You know, like, right. uh, you know initially, I'm like – what really? We're going to go into magic with Osborne, and he's going to become like a Doctor Doom type character. But then, as Dan Slott like committed to that, I committed to it in my mind. I was like, "Oh, this is actually really cool. Like, I like this." But in the back of my mind, I was always like, "No, like, really? Like, uh, he's going to kind of reform himself." And the tiger came out. And I was like, oh, like, I'm really into this, but it still seems so wrong to me. Um, and this is exact, sounds like exactly the journey that you had. Um, like, I even bought it when Spider-Man showed up, and he, like, banishes him to, like, another realm. I was like, oh, that's really exciting. I can't wait to see in the next issue where Spider-Man is. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> like, is that legacy? Like, Spider-Man is going to be in some crazy offhand way like and in like two panels we've seen spider-man like defeated by norman osborne and and i loved seeing the dicko version of osborne back again with the tall ears and the crazy six-arm drawing i was like this is great uh and then 
for some reason, the bait and switch worked for me because, like, I knew all along that, um, like, this couldn't possibly be, like, where the character was going. And so I can totally understand why you would feel cheated by that. But for me, it, like, underlined something about his character in the final moments. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and, and that was good. I, 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 I mean, like, I shouldn't say we were back to square one. I mean, we have a progression with the character, regardless of not of the fact that he's doing magic. <laughs> yeah. Which, again, is why I, it's not that I dislike the comic. I, I did enjoy it, and I did feel that this was an interesting journey to be on Norman on. I just kind of, I don't know. I would have preferred, I, I would have preferred a different execution of getting to that end point versus, you know, than just kind of a, a fake out. And I totally understand that. I think that makes a lot of sense. It just, I just, I can't express it. It just worked worked for me like i yeah no that's uh, i was really satisfied with it because it it confirmed my apprehension now what did you think of this is the first issue in a while we've had without Stuart eminent on art um i mean there was definitely i feel some some interesting panels and some interesting pages in this book but i don't know as a whole i wasn't like totally all in on Greg Smallwood's work. I mean, what what, what was your take? I, I mean, I kind of felt like it was a little too sketchy, and like, I mean, it worked in some of the more ethereal moments uh, in the mystical realm, but I don't know. It's a it's a look that, again, kind of like everything else, I didn't see as being a Spider Man look. I can totally understand that, Mark. Um, and again, this kind of gets to like the. I guess the the central I don't even know if it's a different disagreement it's just like what worked and what didn't like uh I thought his work really worked it put me into a different mindset for this comic and I I I loved his work um him and uh uh Jordy Belair you know their work on Moon Knight I don't know if you've been reading that book I have not but I know you enjoy it It's totally wacky but um uh I like was immediately put into a different mindset and I loved seeing the kind of grounded look at Norman and, and the kind of quiet use of word balloons and big panels, it slowed it down for me a lot and like allowed me to buy into this plot that Dan Slott was selling um, in a way that I think like a Stuart Eminent art would never have uh, convinced me of. Like the, the texture that you referred to like really like made me go, oh, this is like for real happening. Um, and then when it kind of goes dicko towards the end, it's when my like red flags started flying, and I think that was kind of intended. So I don't know. I, I thought it really worked for me, and I thought it was wise for Dan Slott to kind of not fill these panels with word balloons. Um, like he kind of just like allowed the art to say quietly what it wanted to say. Yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of shockingly one of the the l- lightest writer touches I've. I feel like we've had in a slot comic in a while. Like there really is very little, I don't want to say heavy handedness because that comes across as a, as a, as a negative, but you know, I mean like there's a part of me that almost feels like this is not a knock on Dan slot, but this also could have been written by anybody. Like this could have just been an entire stand in 
fill in issue. Like, I don't know if I feel like there's any distinctive slotisms in this comic. It just kind of, you know, takes a very, even in this kind of bait and switch way, there's a very direct approach in just trying to develop this character in a very non, um, abstract way and without getting too wordy or exposition filled or anything. It's just like, you know, it's really just kind of letting the artwork kind of drive things and, and this kind of weird off putting off kilter aesthetic mood drive things. Yeah. And speaking of the, uh, the artwork, I wonder if like this kind of detailed artwork is why we had like, the four-week break that we had between issues. Because um, it was abnormally long between this issue and the last, especially considering that we saw the destruction of Parker Industries, not that we get a follow-up on that here. No, no. And, I mean, and it sounds like the next issue we're going to get, I mean, we're going to be knee-deep in legacy and all the new status quos and stuff, so... Who knows? But it's 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 an interesting approach. I, I like a part of me would almost prefer that Marvel and Dan Slott do this with Spider-Man more often after these kind of whirlwind events. I mean, not that we had any whirlwind events with Spider-Man recently. It's actually kind of been kind of refreshing. But um, like I'm thinking after Dead No More or Spider-Verse or something to kind of like have a real reset. I feel like more recently on the heels of these big spider events are like these little like two, three issue arcs or sometimes team ups with like Miss Marvel or, um, you know, like it, it, it like, I don't know, like, the, the, but this to kind of really have a pause reset button there, um, was helpful for me. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great jumping on or jumping off point. Not that they want people to jump off, but um, certainly not. No, but but I feel like you know, I think people will will want to check this issue out. But if they don't get to it until a couple of months, that's fine too, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you and I have been pretty hot on this book. Do you? Do you I know, like you still like this issue. Do you? think that this is still the book kind of burning hot recently? Yeah, I think so. I don't think this was a, I don't think this was a, a step backwards. It just, there were some things in it that from an execution standpoint, just didn't, not even an execution standpoint, because they, everything was executed very well. It's just the ultimate journey didn't work for me. It was like, ah, that's not what I want in a story like this, but it's not, it was too, you know, there was no fault of, I think the storytellers, I mean, like what they did was, was well done. It just didn't work. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of the last time we got a story like this from Dan Slott, that there was this like character heavy and focused on this kind of like ideas and, and things like that. I mean, like the tone of this is akin to something like, like no one dies or whatever. I was just going to say that no one dies might be, the the token example, but I mean, like I, I I would read more stuff like this all the time. Like even if it's just like the two issue time door story, like it just has me excited to read this book again. It reminds me of like 
the brand new day era where it was just like, here's a cool idea. Here's another cool idea. Don't like that idea? Well, tune in for next week where another cool idea pops up. Right. So, or, this, or in this case, four weeks, but whatever. Yeah. Well, there's that. <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I appreciated the break. I mean, I'm sure our listeners were dying to hear us talk about more comics and stuff. But, like, you know, a, a little bit of a break from Spider-Man makes me uh, miss it all the more. And I honestly can't wait to read the next issue. So with that in mind, what's your grade? I'm giving this one an A-. minus. Wow. I'm coming in at a, at a I'm going to say a B plus. All right. So, that's not too far off. I thought you, you would go lower. I was, I was thinking B for literally this entire conversation. And then I feel like I kind of got moved up by the end. All right. Just because, because I, did, I said A minus. Well, no, it made, cause you made me realize like, as I was kind of winding down, it wasn't, it wasn't the execution of the comic that was the, the problem. It was just my own reaction to it, a very personal reaction to it. And I don't want that to, you know, I wouldn't want to discourage someone from checking this out because I had a certain reaction and maybe it wasn't the same as your reaction because I feel from a storytelling standpoint, from how, you know, comic books should be told, this was well done. All right. Well, there, there you have it. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, number 32. Volume 4 of Spider-Man will miss you, maybe? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I, 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 I am not hanging my hat on that notion just yet, Dan. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. All right. Well, uh, Mark, this is a great conversation. I, I look forward to talking about what's the next number we're getting to? 700 and... Seven, is it 89? Something like that. I think it's 789. I'm, I'm, I'm opening up my comic right now. Uh, 789. What a, what a great... But, but Dan, think about it. In about six months, we're going to have an issue 800. So there so, you go. There you go. All right. I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be 999 and have 87 stories in it for us to review. There you go. Well, that's it for now, at least until the end of the Fall of Parker's and Venom Inc. stories that's running from Amazing Spider-Man 789 through 793 over the next few months or so. If you want to keep up with those exciting stories right alongside Mark and I, why not join our Patreon club? It's the price of a comic a month, and it'll help Mark and I continue creating all this awesome content. Either way, I hope you enjoyed this special bonus episode, and Mark and I will see you in a little less than a week or so for our Ditko Shrugged episode of our regular show. Again, my name is Dan Gavazdan, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk and read all of my writing on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. But in the meantime, I have to remind you to remember that with great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment. Don't, 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 don't.